This week's Press Gallery is brought to you by Callaway. Callaway's new Apex irons are the ultimate forge player's distance iron. A match feel, distance and control have been forged perfection to deliver category-defining performance. Callaway's 360 face cups generate industry-leading distance and unmatched feel, and they'll get every golfer's attention. Tungsten weighing in each iron fine-tunes launch trajectory and delivers tremendous control. See perfection every shot with a new Apex at your local golf retailer. Or visit callawaygolf.ca and see what makes Callaway the number one irons in golf. You can subscribe to the Press Gallery wherever you're listening now, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher or Spotify. Any questions, comments or concerns, do reach out to me. You can email me, egraney at postmedia.com or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, provincial affairs reporter, Emma Graney. It is Friday, June 21, 2019, and this is the Pipelines and Earplugs edition. With me today, political columnist Keith Durant. How are you, mate? I'm good. First day of summer and it's still raining in Edmonton, but you know. <laughs> You take what you that get. That was the most Keith introduction ever. <laughs> well, Janet French, peak, education reporter. Keith right there. How are you, Janet? Hi, I love Keith. How are you? I'm good. You're good? I'm good. Excellent. And our boss, Dave Breckenridge, how are you, dude? I'm good. It's Just June. you, dude. Ju- I've never done that. June, that's fine. I'm the dude. Isn't that <laughs> the dude of Shut up, Donnie. Drinking my coffee. Drinking my coffee. The Big Lebowski has come up a lot like over the last two days and I don't <laughs> fully understand why. Uh, yesterday in a press conference or before it started, I was just quoting the Big Lebowski for about five minutes straight. There's I, nothing wrong with that. No, there I agree. Really it's just strange that it's come up twice. Okay. We're not here to talk about that. I mean, we could, but, not, we, not <laughs> right, I'm leaving. but let's move along. We are going to talk about Trans Mountain Approval 2.0 um, and a new oil law. We're going to talk as well about Bill 9 and why earplugs were a whole thing this week in Alberta politics, and we will touch on a new office for newcomers to Alberta. Let's start off with TMX approval 2.0. This is, I don't think, particularly surprising, but the federal cabinet came out on, what day was that? Tuesday, Tuesday. And said, Hooray, you get TMX and you get TMX. We all get TMX. And uh, yeah, basically that's where we're at right now. (laughs) That's news in a nutshell, people. You are welcome. Um, Dave, not a surprising move by the federal government here, I don't think. No, I don't think they were in a position to do anything but approve it considering that they bought the darn thing. (laughs) Um, I think that while Alberta doesn't hold a lot of electoral support for the federal liberals, I think had they gone through this whole process of purchasing it and essentially campaigning on it. This is a project in the national interest and you can balance the economy and the environment and everyone have a drink because we've all heard that phrase a bajillion times from the prime minister that they had to, they had no other choice. It would hurt them uh, politically, not just in Alberta, but I think elsewhere, had they not. And they knew what the opposition was from uh, environmentalists, from the Green Party, from BC, that uh, from uh, some First Nations, that there's going to be outrage, but they've they've kind of gone this far down the road. I don't think they could very well step back. 
and those opposition, those uh, those groups that are still uh, against this, they're still in place. They're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Horgan in BC has said he's going to continue uh, their legal challenges. Uh, there's indigenous groups that have claimed that they're going to try to block construction. Uh, there are uh, a number. Uh, the, the Green Party, for example, is 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 against this. So, you know, for Albertans or people that support this pipeline, you know, there's no there's no dancing right now, right? I think the the proof is going to be, as everyone has said at this point, once shovels are in the ground and once this thing is actually built, which could be two or three years away, and there still are some hurdles to that happening. So, uh, that that's kind of the test at this point. Uh, we'll see uh, Trudeau's resolve, or it could be Andrew Shear's resolve uh, after after this fall. But uh, that seems to be what people are looking for now. Are pi- are shovels actually going to get in the ground as of this summer, as as the federal government suggested it would be? One of the interesting things for me was watching uh, the reaction of Jason Kenney and uh, Andrew Shear. It's like they yeah. crafted their messages together. Uh, who would have thunk it? Could oh, not possibly shocking. have happened. Janet, yeah. gee. I know. But Sorry. So comparing, comparing Kenny's reaction with Rachel Notley's reaction when anything happened on the pipeline file, Rachel Notley, of course, will get up, it would get up and kind of seem pretty darn happy about developments when it came to the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Um, the day that the federal government announced that they were buying the damn thing, her and all of her caucus and all of these workers in the building came up and had a big press conference outside in the federal building plaza going like, woo, <laughs> kind of cheering and like clapping. And then Notley comes up and they're like, yeah, yeah, woo. I called it the big happy when I spoke with uh, Rachel Notley uh, this week about the whole thing. And she made the point now. She's like, yeah, I did remember that. Yep, we were pretty happy at that point. But that was a slightly different thing because that was the government buying the pipeline. Um, and Jason Kenney's made a point of saying, I will not be high-fiving anybody about this. And his press conference with Sonia Savage, the energy minister, was incredibly interesting because I don't think he smiled once in that press conference. Like he made a point of looking extremely, I don't know, just a little Dower. bit angry. Yeah, Dow <laughs> yeah, was probably yeah. a good word. I even asked him, you know, I was bit of levity as I do. I said, hey, um, Premier, like the Pope came out over the weekend and said there should be a carbon price. Uh, you're a Catholic. What, what do you reckon? He's like, I'm sorry, who? And I'm like, the Pope, <laughs> the guy who runs your religion. And he just kind of looked, he's like, well, I'm not taking my tax policy cues from the Pope. And he doesn't have a vote in Alberta. And you know what? It could have, we all laughed. That was a pretty funny line, but he still continued to be extremely serious. He had been up all night though. Yeah, yeah true. I, I think there's a middle ground between the, like what the NDP did when they were in government and any small movement on TMX was greeted with a party. party. Hey and, man, more parties the and better. <laughs> Jason Kenney's kind of dour response uh, on Tuesday. I think there's a middle ground. There's not a lot to cheer about. There wasn't necessarily a lot to cheer about in the past because these were incremental steps. And as we saw, the Court of Appeal kind of poured water on on everything. Um, that said, we should kind of be somewhat happy that the government has done what they said they were going to do and, and get this pipeline move forward. But we have to tamper that with concerns about blockades, other core challenges, whether this will get underway when they say it will. Uh, you know, there there isn't necessarily cause for a party, but let's just at least say, okay, we've passed this step. That's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, Kenny doesn't want to 
take Rachel Notley's mistake and, you know, celebrate a little <laughs> prematurely, right? Uh, he doesn't want to do that. And, and he has a point. He has a point. But you also have to remember, he's still in campaign mode right here. The federal election is is, is a few months away. He's campaigning for Andrew Scheer. He does not want to say anything that's going to give Justin Trudeau any kind of <laughs> praise. <laughs> and yeah. Credit. yeah, no, that that's not his thing at this point. So it's understandable that his his reaction was a little subdued. The more interesting thing to me is what's the next step after after TMX, right? Because Jason Kenney has continued to make the point that we still have Bill C-48, which just passed the Senate last night. We still have Bill C-69. These are things in his view uh, and in Rachel Notley's view and most other Albertans' view that are going to prevent future pipelines from ever coming to be. So this TMX could theoretically be the last major pipeline we see in Canada, at least for quite some time based on those pieces of legislation, also based on the fact that Justin Trudeau is maintaining uh, insistence on a hundred megaton uh, cap on, on oil sands emissions, right? So we don't know exactly where Alberta is on the emission scale. The, the official record says 81 megatons right now. It could actually be higher because there is a study out recently that suggested uh, Alberta oil sands have been kind of underestimating the amount of emissions that they've been putting out. We could actually be fairly close to that 100 megaton cap already. And so if that's the case, do you need extra pipelines? Can you? Is there a business case for other pipelines? Uh, because you may not be able to increase production as much if that cap is in place. And this is part of like a larger focus on the oil and gas industry here. Also this week, because not enough happened apparently, um, the Alberta government has decided to go ahead with its court case against the federal government over imposing its carbon tax on Alberta. Uh, we had a new uh, law that was tabled on Thursday, Bill 12. It basically freezes the oil royalty scheme for the next 10 years, which was slightly different from the UCP's actual campaign promise. I wouldn't say it was stronger or weaker than that promise. It was more of a lateral move. They had promised if you have a new oil well, the oil royalty scheme in place at that time will last for the lifetime of that well. Instead, now what they've done is it'll last for 10 years all royalties will last the way up, the way they are for ten years, so there just basically won't be a review into the oil royalties, um, into the oil royalties regime. I was just interested again with TMX. Uh, Trudeau is continuing to kind of make this case between energy and the environment, right? And that this is uh, TMX is a yeah. bridging the gap, right, until we get to a, a more clean energy future, and because of that. Uh, he says, we're going to invest the profits that we make from TMX, assuming there are profits, because we don't know exactly <laughs> how much how much the pipeline is going to cost yet. Uh, but any profits will go into clean tech. It, uh, he didn't specify what kind of clean tech. But if I was Alberta, I'd be lining up to get that money right now, right? It's, it's our economy in particular. It's going to be affected by moving away from oil at some point. Uh, we need that money to kind of bolster the innovation that's already going on here to diversify our economy. Uh, we should be marking our claim to that money right now, at least I think so. Yeah, I mean, the large emitter carbon tax program, the tier program that the UCP has promised, which is basically kind of what happens now, but it's they're getting taxed less, um, that program isn't going to be in place till the fall. So I guess at this point, that whole investing in technology and research and innovation in the oil and gas sector is kind of a bit of a, been put on ice a little bit in Alberta, I think, right now. Um, let's move over to Bill 9 and why earplugs were a thing. 
Um, <laughs> this was interesting. I woke up. What day is it today? <laughs> it's Friday. It is Friday. Right? Uh, I woke up yesterday. It's been a long week, guys. I'm not going to lie. Woke up Thursday morning and I had a bunch of DMs on Twitter uh, and a couple of text messages saying, you will never guess what the what the UCP just did. And they were sent to me at half past 11 on, on Wednesday night. Jason Kenny just walked around handing out earplugs and I'm like, what? And I had this from, uh, I think, four different MLAs. And then I checked my email and there's two press releases from the NDP, one at Senate quarter to 12 saying, Jason Kenny's disrespecting everyone by handing out earplugs. And then the other one was after Bill 9 passed in the wee hours, or I guess on the wee hours, probably like 7 a.m. on Thursday morning saying, They've just pushed through Bill 9 and stopped debate on it. And by the way, they handed out earplugs. So at this point, I'm like, <laughs> what is happening? Ask the Premier's office. I get the I get the response, what happened? Many question marks. So it took a few, it took a couple of hours, but basically then the Premier's office came out and went, yeah. Yeah, Jason Kenney did hand out earplugs in the Legislative Assembly at 11.30 p.m. It was a lighthearted attempt at levity to boost caucus morale. Were those taxpayer-funded earplugs? <laughs> they were t- probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, long and short of it, Bill Nine got passed. Everyone got earplugs in the UCP caucus. Dave, wait <laughs> in here, mate. You just <laughs> Dave is sighing and shaking his head. <laughs> you know, it's just... Yeah, like I, I, I get that uh, the NDP is being fairly boisterous uh, around the debate uh, and over Bill Nine, and I understand that like Sarah Hoffman and Marlon Schmidt have been particularly yelly, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> as they do, as yeah, they do. That's a and, fair. That's a fair term. And like I, I kind of, I'm surprised it was the premier. First of all. That was handing out earplugs. That's the kind of thing, like maybe like some backbencher, maybe some gadfly cabinet minister. Like I could have seen, and no offense to Thomas Lukasik, but when he was in cabinet, that, you know, and I saw the kind of back and forth he would have with Daniel Smith's Wild Rose Party. That's the kind of thing maybe I would have seen him do just based on his performance in the house at the time. I'm shocked it was the premier. I don't think it was a very good joke. I don't think it, I think it was. Pardon the pun, tone deaf. I think, you know, this. you got to act like you've been there before, Jason, Mr. Premier. And you have been there before. You were a federal cabinet minister for a number of years. I I have less issue with them forcing, invoking closure on the Bill 9 debate than I do with the earplugs. It's just silly. And, and again, I, the NDP is, you know, all shouty and applausy and trying to take the piss and, and all of that. I It's, you know... It hasn't been a great week uh, for the adults. <laughs> no, no. There's been there's been a lot of dad jokes that have been uh, coming out because of this, right? Uh, so I mean, one I heard was uh, Jason Kenney is turning a deaf ear to uh, democracy and debate in the in the legislature, right? Um, yeah. So can I, I just say on dad jokes, Nate yeah. Glubish had a really good one this week. He was talking about the rural broadband initiative. And then he said to Tani Yao, because it was a puffball question from the backbencher Tani Yao from the UCP, and Glubish said, and I'll be happy to speak with, you know, MLA Yao offline, pardon the pun. <laughs> and then he Ooh. tweeted back at me when I tweeted about it and said, oh, solid dad joke. He's like, well, I'm a, I'm a dad to be. I think his, I think his partner is pregnant. Going to due in September or something. So he's already getting the dad jokes in. Sorry, it's Keith. I in. No, that's fine. I have no <laughs> idea what I was saying now. Uh, th- <laughs> th- th- thanks, Nick, Nick Uh 
Yeah. So, I mean, look, this is, uh, this was disrespectful behavior. I understand Jason Kenney was trying to make a bit of a joke and trying to make a bit of a point as well. The Bill 9 debate, uh, I don't entirely buy the NDP's theory here that this is some sort of backdoor way to impose a contract on public sector unions this fall. I don't actually see that in the legislation. We could be proven wrong this fall, but at this point, uh, that, that theory seems a little far-fetched. That said, it is their right to make that point in the legislature in as obnoxious a way as they want, and they, and they certainly were through the night on uh, on Tuesday and, and previous to that. But handing out earplugs it does go a bit too far, partly because you're not allowed props in the legislature at all, right? I mean, the UCP would not take kindly if the, the NDP came in with rope to tie their wrists or duct tape to offer to put over cabinet ministers' mouths because they can't can't say anything beyond talking points approved by the premier's office. Like, there's a variety. There's a variety of things they could they could do, right? That the UCP would not take kindly to. And the fact that this was the premier, right? And this is the guy that has called for civility and decorum and respect in politics. This is the guy that said we can't allow desk thumping in the legislature because I can't hear the debate, you know. Or the guy that says, you <laughs> know, su- <laughs> "Now we can't hear because <laughs> we're Exactly in. right. Or that you know he he sometimes embarrassed when school groups come in, right? Because of the the behavior behavior of MLAs in the legislature, right? So, you know, based on those sorts of things, this seems pretty hypocritical. Janet, I want to talk to you about Bill 9 because you had a really interesting story this week about AUPE and the um, arbitration dates. Can you talk us through that? So, I mean, the the sort of question and neither side was kind of addressing this politically was why, you know, they've got this huge list of bills they're trying to introduce Mm -hmm. and push through and they just can't get through them fast enough. And the NDP is doing everything they can to make it as slow and painful as possible. Mm -hmm. But Bill 9, like they're using whatever tools the government had at its disposal to try and get this thing through much faster than the rest of the legislation. And the question was, well, why? And so it turns out that the Alberta Union of Provincial Employees, um, one of their bargaining units has about 23,000 workers in it. And these are mostly government workers and ironically or suitably, including the sheriffs who work at the legislature (laughs) working overnight protecting these MLAs. And uh, they are uh, in the third year of the contract that they're in right now was that they had to have an arbitrated, an arbitrator make a ruling about wages for their 2019 pay by the end of June. And so uh, they had arbitration dates scheduled today and tomorrow. And so once they realized what they what they had done is gone to some the arbitrators and some of these um, labor issues and said, hey, can you just delay arbitration? And in the case of this AUPE group, they said, no, the arbitrator said, no, I will not delay the arbitration dates until later. So you can look at your finances. And so that's when Bill 9 appeared suddenly saying, oh, we need to push all arbitration dates until after we've had this blue ribbon panel, take a closer look at how we're spending our money. So um, AUPE was saying, uh, we think they're pushing Bill 9 through super fast so that they can push our arbitration dates and force us basically to for our arbitration dates to mean nothing. So they're, they're meeting today with the arbitrator. I don't know what they're talking about. I spoke with um, Guy Smith, who's the president of AUPE. Um, I had a chat with him yesterday and he said, yeah, they're still going to continue with the arbitration because Bill 9, which again can delay, gives the government the power to delay um, union wage negotiations. Yeah. So basically this was an uh, 
if, if you were being cynical about the NDP's tactic, it's like, oh, we don't have any money and we really can't afford to give any raises right now. So it, it could be described as a delay tactic to say, okay, we're going to give you one or two years of zeros. And they did the same for the Alberta Teachers Association. But in the third year, the last year of the contract, we'll go have an arbitrator decide what whether you should get a wage hike or a freeze or whatever. So then it's kind of off our plate, right? Yeah. But, um, it, the bill- but then it put that it put dealing with that issue onto the UCP, who are now government. Exactly. But the bill itself hasn't received royal assent yet. So Guy Smith was saying, well, we're still going to go through the arbitration because even though the bill has passed third reading, it hasn't been given the legal stamp of approval, if you will. So we're just going to go ahead with this arbitration and chat with them anyway. And I talked to Finance Minister Travis Taves yesterday and asked him about this very issue. And he said, yeah, there were absolutely some dates. uh, And we looked at calendars Reading between the lines, absolutely this was targeted at um, stopping the AUPE arbitration in particular because it is Alberta's largest union. Mm -hmm. So now Guy Smith from the AUPE tells me that they're taking the government to court once that bill does does receive royal assent because it stomps over the rights of workers and basically it's the government tearing up contracts that they've already agreed to. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting court battle when it happens. And it will happen, I have oh, no yeah. doubt. Well, and it'll have implications for every public sector worker in this province or beyond, right? Yeah, I mean, that that is going to be a very interesting court case because it was a signed contract negotiated through collective bargaining. I'm not sure the government's going to win that case. It's It'll be interesting to see. And, of course, this kind of feeds into another decision this week. Seriously, guys, it was really busy at the <laughs> legislature. This wasn't really a huge surprise, but uh, the Superlab contract here in Edmonton, it has officially been made into confetti. No mm-hmm. longer exists. Uh, the UCP, of course, said during the election they were going to cancel this project. Work had stopped on the project, but now it's for realsies stopped. <laughs> They have cancelled it completely. Yeah, on Tuesday was the official day that uh, the government cancelled its 300 million odd contract with PCL for construction of the Super Lab, which is in uh, in South Edmonton near the South uh, the University of Alberta South Campus, and it was to be a 595 million dollar state of the art amazing replacement for a lot of really disperse lab services around Edmonton. And another part, sort of side part of that deal was that the NDP government, former NDP government, was going to buy out Dynalife's Edmonton operations for $50 million in order to unify lab services because there's been other independent reports suggesting that it's really fragmented and that you've got multiple systems, you know, people working their way through multiple systems and they need one information system, one way of patients information and testing moving through the system for better continuity. When I asked the health minister, Tyler Shandro, yesterday about what the plans were for the site, he said they didn't have any plans just yet. They have none. <laughs> they have no plans. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see what happens with it. Well, it sounds like they're going to try to return it to its former state, which I think was a soccer field. So it's uh, <laughs> it's putting gr- grass and sod back on there. So Yes, but, they promised grass. They grass. They confirmed grass. So the co- they confirmed <laughs> they grass. confirmed grass. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, so we know, right, that $23 million has already been spent on construction on the project. There will also be additional, some sort of cancellation penalty uh, as well. We don't know what that is. It could be quite expensive, uh, as well as the cost of returning the site to its former 
grass filled glory. So that <laughs> is, uh, so in theory, I mean, we could be looking at what 50, a $50 million hit here for basically nothing. Uh, so it, it is for a soccer field. <laughs> for that a was soccer, already a soccer field. Most expensive, expensive soccer field ever. Right. So that is, uh, that is a bit, uh, a bit disappointing. I was never entirely a fan of the NDP's plan here that we we had to have some major new $600 million facility. I wasn't sure that that, that kind of facility was necessary. We could have gotten away with maybe something a little smaller. Wasn't necessarily a fan of the the NDP's plan to kind of consolidate all of the lab services under one public umbrella. At the same time, though, we're so far down that road now. It just, to me, it doesn't make sense that we backtrack at this point. Uh, I think it is a waste. Um, and as Emma just said, they don't have a plan right now on what to do next, right? At some point, some new facility is going to be needed at Edmonton, whether it's a big facility or a small facility. A lot of these little labs that are around at the University of Alberta, the DynaLife and so on, they're going to need an expansion. Is the private sector going to handle that? Are the, is there room elsewhere in the health system to expand? I don't know. And Tyler Shandra doesn't seem to know at this point either. Yeah. For, for someone as, as cunning a political operative as Jason Kenney and as bright a guy and he's a, a master strategist, as everyone says, I don't see anything here other than, you know, stepping over a dollar to save a dime, right? Like it just, it doesn't, as, as Keith said, it doesn't make sense to walk this back at this point. It's going to cost us a bunch of money. There is no plan. And at the very least, I would hope that they would have come forward and said, well, this is what we're going to do next. And they haven't done that. And it's, it's so out Northern Albertans, Edmontonians who might be worried about what happens next with lab services and, and medical testing in the area. They're kind of left shrugging. Like, what are you guys going to do for us? And well, and like 70% of doctors' diagnoses in Alberta rely on lab testing. And I think that there's um, – it raises questions about the quality uh, of lab testing in Alberta. Is there – when there are be samples being sent to Ontario because we don't have the technology available in Alberta – because um, it's maybe not feasible. They don't do enough of those tests. So then is there a delay to get a results? And if you've got, this is at least what the NDP says, is you've got overtaxed facilities um, with more and more patients coming into the system as our population ages, trying to rush through all those samples um, with equipment that some people say is questionable, then what are the downstream costs to the healthcare system of having a non-ideal lab testing system? Yep. Well, uh, shrug emoji. I guess we'll see. Your what, favorite. I, it is one of my favorite things. I do love that thing. Um, okay, let's move just briefly here on to a new office that the UCP wants to set up. This was another part of their uh, election platform, of course. It is the, um, what, the, what are they calling it? Fairness for Registration for Newcomers Office or something along those lines. I wrote the story, but I've forgotten what it's going to be called. Basically, what the UCP wants to see is that professional bodies and regulatory bodies that license people to work in Alberta in professions like uh, engineering or nursing or doctors or architects, uh, that basically people who are applying to be licensed in Alberta get an interim answer within six months of putting all their paperwork to the professional body that's going to regulate, that, that's going to license them rather. So the idea is set up this office um, that's going to be able to kind of, it, it's kind of a weird office because it's not going to help individuals at all. In fact, it's set out in the act that it doesn't help individual people. 
it almost <laughs> seems like, and this is this is coming from me. I've been through the immigration system. I don't know if you can tell from my accent, um, but as a newcomer, it's really hard to know where the assistance is, where you should go, who you should talk to if something has gone wrong. And in this case, there's no onus on professional bodies to even tell newcomers, hey, if you have a complaint or if we're taking too long, you can lodge a complaint through this this office. Newcomers aren't even going to know about this office necessarily unless people tell them. So it's kind we're of- We're telling them right now. We're telling, yeah, all yeah. those newcomers listening to our podcast- planning to come to Alberta. But it's kind of an interesting plan because, yes, it could definitely help, I think, some of the people who need to get registration, but also the people who are missing out aren't necessarily going to even know that they can get help in the first place. Yeah, I, I, I sort of like the the concept of this, right? And this is, this is certainly an issue that Jason Kenney has heard a lot in his career, right? He was formerly uh, immigration minister yeah. federally. Uh, this is, I suspect, a, a lot of the communities that he, uh, he spends time with, uh, Talk about this issue that you know that the old cliche is well the doctor in from a you know a developing nation comes to Canada and has to wind up being a taxi driver or taking some other sort of minimum wage job uh, at, even though they're trained theoretically to to do much more um, not that uh, being a taxi driver is a, a lousy profession but that's obviously not what they train to do and so what they want what the Kenny government wants here is to enshrine a fair and transparent process for those folks to at least get an answer to say yes you are on the right track to becoming licensed in Canada or no uh, this isn't going to happen or here's the other tests or training that you have to do uh, and that does seem like a noble goal. Whether this legislation is going to accomplish that is is a big question. The other part of this is a bit of a shaming exercise, right? Jason Kenney wants to publicly identify those licensing bodies that are not providing that fair and transparent process. He hasn't exactly said who these are and how big of a problem it really is. Uh, that's a bit of a concern. But um, that seems to be the threat to them right now is that we are going to publicly shame you if you do this uh, to people. Or take them to court and fine them because the Act also allows a fine up to $50,000 for a professional body or $25,000 for an individual. Now, when we're asking government officials, they couldn't give us any they, they couldn't explain to us exactly when those fines would be levied, how many times an organisation could be hit with a fine, like w what are the machinations of actually being fined over this. They didn't know or couldn't give us that information, which was a little bit frustrating. But it is a lot of a naming and shaming exercise, I think, here uh, for the minister. Dave? I, you know, to, to further Keith's point, everyone has kind of an anecdote of running into someone who's new to the country and you ask them, mm -hmm. what did you do when you, you know, and oh, I was a doctor. But as, as Keith said, um, and now I'm driving a cab. And again, it's nothing, it's not to denigrate cab drivers or denigrate newcomers, but it's something that we've all heard before. And, and I think as Jason Kenney tries to counter the notion that his, his party is home to people who aren't favorable to newcomers, that, you know, it's, it's something that he's done throughout his career is to try and be welcoming to them and, and, you know, reach out to to immigrant communities in Alberta and Canada. I, I do find it interesting, though, that in addition to fines, he's saying that these groups could lose their professional designation. Like, I get that you want to you want to have a good process and you want to make sure that these bodies are living up to to their role and to help people who are new to Alberta. But 
it's that seems a little extreme and could throw licensing for professionals in the province into chaos if that's that seems yeah. very heavy-handed there's no backup right there's no backup for the college of physicians and surgeons no. there's no backup for the college and association <laughs> of registered nurses or or a pega right for for engineers right so they lose their their licensing privileges well what what's the next step who who does it at that point right like, so. but do you, you think can, that you that's Kate, an empty threat <laughs> I, I, in a yeah. way, yeah, I kind of yeah. hope it is. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, especially with the UCP is running has run on this kind of we're going to cut red tape and we're going to reduce the bur- red tape burden. So you well, want to create a government department to regulate doctors? Yeah. See, I don't think that's going to happen. And we did actually ask about how this office won't create more red tape because it is another creating a government office that previously doesn't did not exist and will only exist if the legislation passes. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. We've talked about Grant Hunter's fine with this. He's the Minister for Red Tape Production. So. Is he going to kill another government office to, to, you know, one in, one out? I did ask about this. Uh, no, I don't believe that is the plan because this is red tape. What it is like red tape. Neutrality. Neutrality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's all good. It's all good, everybody. Okay, let's move on to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've read or listened to or seen lately that we think you might also enjoy, dear darling listeners. Keith, kick us <laughs> off, mate. Uh, I'm going to recommend another column from John Iveson of You've the National Post. His yeah, lately, he's been on a roll recently. So uh, this one is about Andrew Shear's uh, climate plan, which was unveiled on on Thursday, oh, just yeah, a day after the TMX announcement. So this one is Shear Climate Plan gives voters what they want: expressions of concern with no actual cost. So, <laughs> which I think kind of gets right to the point, uh, similar to uh, Jason Kenney's climate plan here in Alberta. Uh, anyway, interesting read and an interesting just kind of primer on what Shear is doing here. Nice. Janet? Who remembers Belinda Stronach? I know that name. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Okay. There is a fascinating piece and it's okay. It borders a little bit on gossip, but I love it. Um <laughs> On the Stronach family in Toronto life, it's called the $500 million family feud. And uh, the Stronachs, who are an incredible, parts, an incredibly uh, rich auto parts, but uh, lots of other things. I had no idea. They're like horse race track. Anyway, tons of detail in here. There's a piece by Leah McLaren in Toronto life about how they're all suing the crap out of each other right now. And it's completely ripping the family apart. Um, and it is... It's a really good read, and it was recommended by Jana Pruden. So thanks, Jana. <laughs> I'm going to recommend something that is not at all political. It is a book I read. Some of you know that I do something called the Pop Sugar Reading Challenge each, each year. It kind of takes you outside your comfort zone, makes you read books that you wouldn't necessarily read. I read a book that was under the challenge of um, retelling of a classic story, and I picked up this book called Cinder. It is a YA novel. It is awesome. Um, It's basically about a cyborg in future Earth in a place called New Beijing. And then the lunar, like this settlement on the moon tries to like take over the Earth. And it's just really freaking cool. So it's based on Cinderella. There's a handsome prince. There's there's cyborgs. There's like robots. It's really, really rad. I highly recommend it if you want to like get out of the Alberta political world as I so often must do. Uh, it's by Marissa Meyer and um, it's an easy read and highly recommend it. And if you're doing the Pop Sugar Reading Challenge, it will fit one of your goals. <laughs> Breck, take us home, mate. I'm going to uh, recommend a piece that was recommended on Twitter by our colleague Johnny Wakefield. Um, he tweeted it 
and then I started reading it and got kind of sucked into it instead of doing my work uh, <laughs> earlier this week. It's what really happened to Malaysia's missing airplane. Five years ago, the flight vanished into the Indian Ocean. Officials on land know more about why than they dare to say. And it goes into kind of the disappearance, the search for wreckage. Uh, it's just really, really fascinating read. I have seen so many people recommend that piece and it's on my ever-growing list of things that I should read. But of course, instead, I read YA novels. Um, well, I asked him, I said, like, will it make me afraid of air travel? And he said, yes. So I was like, not reading. <laughs> no, don't want to freak myself out. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Keith Ryan, Janet French, Dave Breckenridge. Yes, that's your name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you looked at me funny. I'm like, have I called you the right name? Okay. It's all good, everyone. Um, we'll be back again this time next week with more Press Gallery. Uh, another reminder to subscribe wherever you are listening now, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. Any questions, comments, or concerns, reach out to me. egraney at postmedia.com is my email. And you can find me hanging out on Twitter, usually wearing my sassy pants, at Emma L. Graney. Thanks for listening. 